0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you
1: experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached.
0: It's good to be with you again. I have visited the congregation before, but some years ago. And so it's nice to reconnect, especially with uh, the Swartz. And it's good to be back in South Africa. Henny asked me to speak uh and in some way connect that with my connection to South Africa. You can tell already by the accent that there's something quite missing. Um, and uh, for someone to say he was born in Valcom with an accent like this is quite a <laughs> shock to people. Um, but I, I want to make a connection uh, between a passage in Scripture from Matthew chapter 9 and uh, my parents' ministry in South Africa, And I think that the Lord has actually put this on my heart from what I've heard so far this morning. God is working to have his word heard among us today. Please open your hearts uh, to the hearing of his word and for what he would have you to hear uh, from him this morning. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your word would be heard that you would speak from your holy word and have a word for us this morning. For as a church and as individuals, we put ourselves before you. Speak, O Lord. Amen. In Matthew chapter 9, having presented the characteristics of Jesus' ministry in word and deed, Jesus then turns to his disciples and realizes and says to them, I can't do this alone. And so he gives them a prayer to pray for laborers of the field. And what a wonderful connection to pray for new laborers in this field, for Santon, and then to have this word put on my heart, independent of any knowledge of that. So this is what I, I have for you this morning. It's just a few verses, nine, chapter 9, uh, verses 35 to the end of the chapter, verse 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. So I want to talk to you this morning about missions and the call uh, to pray for missionaries that God would send them and and pray for them once they're sent, and to pray for ourselves to be a missional church, to hear from God in terms of where we can uh, support this mission. I have six points, and I'd like to go through them Somewhat quickly, but with some illustrations as well. So the first point is we need to, as a missional church, understand what the mission is. You can't go on a mission without knowing what you're supposed to do. And the mission we have already learned by this point in Matthew's gospel is the kingdom of God. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 17, one verse tells us what Jesus' ministry was all about. Jesus called people to repentance for the kingdom of heaven was near. That was his mission. Now, if I were to say to you this morning, I checked the news and there is a great empire that has surrounded South Africa. They're on the borders. Their ships are facing the shores. We are surrounded. And this kingdom is about to Uh, is on the move and is about to come in now you might think oh my goodness what are we going to do right you'd want to get more news about this tell us what this means and then secondly you'd want to say and what should we do I want to know more about this and I want to know what to do Matthew's gospel has already done this Jesus message was of a coming kingdom the kingdom of God It was invading the land through his ministry. And uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel are the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus gave them the news. This is what it means for this kingdom to surround us, to invade us, to be present among us. And then secondly, in chapters 8 and 9, right? we just read from the end of chapter 9, in chapters 8 and 9, we see what Jesus did about that, how he ministered in the power of this kingdom, what it meant for this kingdom to come. If we think about being surrounded by a kingdom, we get, we're nervous. We don't, we don't want to have someone invade us. But if, if we learn, it's, but it's God who's coming. Boy, that changes things. Changes things in two different ways, though. On the first, it, if, if we're not ready for God to invade our land... We better repent and get ready. And that's what John the Baptist's ministry was about, and that's what Jesus called people to do. Repent and believe. And then secondly, uh, we, um, we want to rejoice in the coming of God and live according to his word. And so this, this is an exciting thing. It's, it's not exciting if you don't want God to come, but it's really exciting if you are preparing for him to come. My parents' ministry in South Africa began in 1951-52. They came separately and were married in 1952. And they, they began their ministry up in what's now called Limpopo province. They were married in a town, I keep forgetting the new name of it, uh, Porchitisrus, and uh, then uh, they ministered in what's now called Polakwani at first. We've, we've heard that name before today. Um, and uh, they, one of the places they ministered was a village just sort of northeast of Polakwani called Gamalepo. And uh, they had some successful ministry there. My father would go play his trombone, and uh, people would come out and gather around to hear him speak. And uh, one day they came out and nobody came and they inquired as to what was going on. And some of the elders of the village said to them, well, you keep coming here, giving us this message about God's kingdom and his power and his rule, but it's just words. And they said to them, there is a death hut here and there is a young woman in the death hut who's dying. You pray for her, and we'll see whether this God is real. So my parents, mind, mind, excuse me, mind you, they were about twenty-two, twenty-one years old, just married, and just in a new country, and they uh, they crawled into the death hut. They could make out a form in the darkness. The smell was incredible in there, and they said to each other. Either God heals this young woman or our ministry is destroyed here. The kingdom message had to be related to the reality of the kingdom power. And so they prayed. They left. They came back the next week. Talking about something 70 years ago that still touches my heart. The young girl came running. God had yielded, He had raised her up from a deathbed. And the power of the kingdom of God was evident in that little village. It's a look up at it, look it up on google maps it still looks like it's really way out there but the kingdom of god had invaded this area and people turned to the lord what it means to understand the mission is to understand that we uh, what 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 we are proclaiming that we are proclaiming good news of the coming of the kingdom but we are to respond first in repentance and then, in following Christ, in the power of this kingdom, in our ministries, whatever God calls us to do in as a church as well. Secondly, we are to understand the needs of the people. We are to respond to the needs. It's not just a message, it's not a philosophy that we're offering people. It's a life-transforming message, and we are, it begins with understanding what the needs of the people are. In the previous uh, two chapters to this call for prayer for laborers in the field, Matthew lists one story after another about how Jesus responded to the needs of individual people with the power of the kingdom. Uh, a leper was healed, a centurion's paralyzed and suffering servant was healed, Peter's mother in law, was relieved of a terrible fever that she had. Jesus cast out demons in two pig herders. He heals a paralytic. He raises a dead girl from the dead. He heals a woman suffering 12 years from bleeding. He restores sight of two blind men. He delivers a mute from a demon, and that mute is then able to speak. The power of the kingdom meant something different for each of them. And Jesus was responding with the power of the kingdom to the needs of the people that he met along the way. We should ask, how does the good news of God's coming reign meet individuals' needs in our circles? How does that make a difference? Don't believe that God is there to help you as you continue to struggle in the same old, same old thing. God is there to bring transformation to your lives. Yes, God is there to help us in our struggles, and yes, we do suffer. And it's not all a perfect and sweet and happy life, but God is able to change people uh, from alcoholism or from drug addiction. God is able to change them from sexual perversions that they have. God's difference is not just a difference in words, but a difference in power. And we need to believe that and ask for that in our lives. Thirdly, we need to pray for laborers. That's what Jesus' prayer is. Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends forth laborers. Now, let me say two things about that. One of the reasons for praying for laborers is that there are a lot of false laborers. Jesus looked right over all those scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees that were the laborers in Israel at the time and turned to his disciples and said, pray for laborers. Because those others were false laborers by and large. And the church has always been uh, faced with the false laborers. Uh, Isaiah already, the 8th century B.C. prophet, talks about this in chapter 5. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Calling sin righteousness and calling justice and righteousness uh, uh not quite sin, but call it, calling it something really negative, you know, politically incorrect or whatever you want to use the, the culture's language. This has always been a problem. Jeremiah uh, talks about this, um, about false shepherds in chapter 23. In Zechariah, the false shepherds are mentioned again. And in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 15 to 23, we read this. Ask in, sorry, chapter 7, 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a sobering thought but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There are people who say, well, the Bible says that, but we know better today. And they'll stand up and uh, say those things as ordained ministers in some churches. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's those who go against the law of God who are these false teachers. And um, that's what we're called to be aware of. Now, Peter, in chapter 5, first Peter, uh, talks about what it means to be a good shepherd. And these would be the good laborers for whom we're to pray. Good shepherds care for the flock. They exercise oversight. They willingly and eagerly serve. Not after shameful gain. They don't domineer over people and are examples for people. Shepherds, you know, used to be the lowest form of servant in in antiquity. They were even often slaves sent out into the fields. They cared for the sheep. They had no status in society, but they were the ones who cared for the sheep. These are the laborers that God wants us. He wants laborers, not leaders, who lord it over people. Then, uh, fourthly, we need to understand the need for more laborers, not just the right laborers, but more laborers. The uh, world today, if you've ever looked at statistics on world population, From the beginning of the 20th century to today, it's just grown exponentially. And the challenge now, today, to send out laborers into the field is as great as it was in Jesus' day. Yes, the church has grown, but so has the population of the world grown. There's still a need for a great number of laborers to go into the field. Now, there are two kinds of ways in which this uh, can take place. It can take place as God sends individuals, and it can take place through the people of God. You see, the people of God have a mission. You all, together, as a church, have a mission in this place. And some of you, God has called to specific ministries of mission You see, the people of God are called to a mission already in Exodus chapter 19 at the foot of Mount Sinai as God is going to give them his law. God says to them, if you hear my voice and obey my commandments, what? Then you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in their context. What does it mean? A priest is someone who stands between God and the people. A priest is someone who brings the people to God. A priest is someone who uh, presents God to the people. But how can you do that if you haven't heard his voice and obeyed his commandments? It's the righteousness of the people of God that becomes the witness of the people of God. And so this is a calling that we have. Uh, Psalm 62 Sorry, Psalm 67 is a short psalm. I want you to take note of it. I'll only read you the first two verses. Uh, But it's a lovely psalm of missions. And just think about it. It's not something that is given to the church, but it is given um, given to the Israelites long ago. Already their mission was a worldwide mission. It's not something that only came along once the church came along. But the worldwide mission is already here in Psalm 67. We read, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So so the, the vision is for God's saving power to be known among the nations. But how is it to, that to happen? By God blessing his people so that his people can be that witness. You see, this sort of thing is said in other places uh, in the New Testament. For example, in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says to his disciples uh, that, the, that people should see their good works so that they may give praise to your Father in heaven. It's not a matter of being pointed out and saying what a, what a great person that person is, but it's a matter of saying... My goodness, that testimony of that person's life is something that calls me to God and to, to worship him. That's, that's what God wants us to do. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is talking to wives whose husbands have not yet become Christians. And he says, win them to the word, the word of God, without a word. Others don't nag them to the cross. <laughs> but, but by your life, by your conduct, win them to the Lord. So our uh, corporate testimony is the testimony of a people who want to hear the voice of God, obey his commandments, and be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests to the world. This is what God wants from us as a, as a group. But he also calls individuals, and we've seen that throughout Scripture. Remember, Joseph was called without even knowing he was called, sold into slavery by his brothers to Egypt, but God had his hand on Joseph's life. Sometimes our circumstances are just things we can't understand, but God is working a calling in individuals' lives. Uh, we, we see this with Moses called. We see this with the prophets called. Uh, I remember Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6, where he's before the Lord and he says, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God, uh, God makes him to be the person he needs to be to be the witness to the people in his time. This is what God does. My father was uh, uh, told, I think, when we lived in Valcombe, I was born in Valcombe, uh, that uh, he needed to go. He needed to go learn uh, some more uh, the Susutu. Uh, so our family was packing up, and we were, uh, uh, the whole house had been packed up into a truck. And my father had the last task of taking the curtains off the windows. The rest of the family, myself included, were already outside waiting in the car, and we were going to leave. And And, and he felt his heart checked. And he felt God speak to him and say, Did I tell you to go? (laughs) Now, you know, you wish God had spoken to him before he packed the truck. But um, he he came out and he said to the family, we're not going. Uh, It's quite a story and all, but uh, we didn't go. And uh, part of the reason for that thinking maybe we should go was nothing really seemed to be happening in the ministry up until that point. Shortly thereafter, Revival broke out. Such a revival in Virginia, the near, neighboring uh, t- uh, town to Valcom, that uh, people brought stolen goods as they came to the Lord as part of their repentance. And the truck that uh, carried that huge tent uh, for a few hundred people, uh, that truck was filled to capacity and overflowing with stolen goods. That one person even brought the front door of his house. Um, his wife was rather upset with him. But she was even more upset with him when he, he took the blanket off their bed uh, and said, oh, yes, I remember stealing this too. Uh, and people even brought uncut diamonds as part of their repentance. And that witness was a, a witness to the, to the police department as well as these people turned to God uh, in repentance. Um, So did God tell you to go? Did he tell you to go in mission? Well, maybe he didn't tell you not to go. And God has a call on your life uh, to be his representative where you are, in the workplace, wherever you are. But he will also call people to, to be consecrated for special ministry. And the church can gather around those people to help them accomplish the mission We don't do it alone. We don't do it in our own strength. Fifthly, pray that God gives you a heart for those in need. Remember, our passage talks about the compassion of Christ. He looks at the people in need having ministered to those that I mentioned already in chapters 8 and 9, and he has compassion. Ministry doesn't just take place because intellectually you say, yes, this is a good thing to do. It has to involve having a heart for the people in need, and that includes sinners. See, the Pharisees were unworthy laborers in the field because they had no compassion for the people. They looked at sinners and walked on the other side of the road instead of feeling uh, a call to go and speak to them about the power of this invading gospel, uh, the coming of the kingdom of God. In that same revival in Virginia, uh, the, there were some young men who were there day, night after night in the tent meetings and they were excited about what they were hearing and seeing. And they remembered a man who lived in the tombs. This is just like a story out of the Gospels. Uh, he uh, hardly wore any clothes. He was out of his mind. People would see him walking miles away uh, down the road, just completely out of his mind. And that, the c- whole community knew about this man who lived in the tombs. He was demon-possessed. He was out of his mind. And so these young men got up out of the service. They went to the graveyard. They b- tackled him. They bound him with belts, and they brought him back to the tent meeting. So they prayed for him right there until the cloudy eyes came clear and my father said you can unbind him. The power of God had released that man. But what made that happen was the compassion of those young men for someone the entire community had written off as useless. That man became a leader in the community. I I can't quite remember whether he became a teacher or whether he was appointed to the city council or both, but he became a leader in the community. His mind was so restored uh, by God. And then finally, remember to pray. This is what the whole passage is about in Matthew 9. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. Isn't it incredible that... God invites us to pray for something like that. You see, if it's God's mission, why doesn't he just do it? But he involves us from the very beginning. He says, this is going to happen if you start praying. So pray for your missionaries. Pray for uh, laborers in the, in the harvest field. This is what we're called to do. Uh, someone named Hugh Palmer said that this passage in Matthew 9 is the other Lord's Prayer. You know, we know the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But this prayer is a, the second prayer that God gave his disciples. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth missionaries, send forth laborers. We, call, you, we say missionaries. Don't, don't get caught up in that. It's not that you have to go far away to another country. It's not that you have to be a missionary. It's laborers in the field. And is the field not here just as much as there? We're all called to this. When my parents uh, first began their ministry, they thought they were going to go off to some mission station near Polokwane, And then they felt the Lord calling them, no, stay here in Petersburg. I have a ministry for you here. And uh, that someone told them, if you're going to work here, go go to this house. So they had an address. They went to the house. They knocked on the door, and it uh, they opened up, and they saw... Women on their knees praying, and as soon as they saw my parents, they said, "Oh, <laughs> you're the people we've been praying for." And that led to the first church that my parents started in the in the outskirts of Petersburg, called they called it New, New Petersburg back then, um, and uh, you see. These women, these faithful women had been praying this prayer and God answered it. And my parents were part of that, the joyful part of being an answer to, God, to prayer of someone else. Uh, let me just conclude then by challenging you once again with these exciting words about being part of the coming of God's invasion. Here Let us be sure that we understand the mission of the kingdom of God, that it is in word and deed. Let us be understood that it's a response to the needs of people around us. Let us be sure that we pray for good shepherds as laborers uh, in, in the church. Let us be sure to pray for more laborers as the need is still so great. Let us be sure to pray that God gives us a heart of compassion for the people in this community and wherever God calls this church to send forth laborers. And let us remember always to pray. Pray to send. Pray for those sent. Be a prayerful people. Be a missional people. Amen.
1: well thanks Roland that um, that was really amazing I think what God is saying is, is very clear um, we need to live as though there's a calling and there's a mission to our lives and and while I'm sitting uh, there you know I'm, I'm wondering you know if, if people came and lived with me day and night, would they be able to see that there's a calling on my life? Or would they be able to see that I'm part of a mission? That I'm not just living day to day. That I'm not just living for white picket fences and um, 2.7 children and you know whatever the stereotype is. But there's actually a mission that I'm living for. If people looked at your life, would they be able to see that you're living on a mission? That there's a bigger cause that you're living for? I think all of us, you know, as we listen to God's word as, as Roland presented it to us, will be convicted and say, but there are, there are areas in which I can definitely grow. I, I need to pray more, or I need to have more compassion, um, or, or I, I, I need to, you know, whatever, be, be, be willing to, to be sent, to, to live everywhere as though God sent me there. Because that's what the word mission means. It comes from the, from the Latin word for being sent. I need to live everywhere as though God sent me there. Amen. So you know what the Lord has, has spoken to you. You know where, where the Lord has convicted you. I just want you to close your eyes and, and just speak to the Lord about that and say, Lord, I, if you need to repent, just say, Lord, I repent. Because I know the kingdom of God is near. Uh, and, and I don't only want to be part of that kingdom, but as part of that kingdom, I want to be part of the extension of that kingdom, of the invasion of that kingdom. So just in your own words, if you need to repent of anything, repent of it. And just say, Lord, I commit myself to living on mission. I also, also just sense that um, that maybe there are a few things in our lives that are actually preventing us from living on mission, from being those laborers. There, there, there might be things, and, and some of those things I sense are good things. They're not bad things. Some of them are, are good things like, career, and and all kinds of stuff, which are absolutely not bad things, but but we're allowing them to become ultimate things. We're living for those things instead of for God's kingdom, primarily. Instead of, of, of allowing, us, uh, allowing God to, to, to make us see those things in the light of His kingdom and through His kingdom. And if there are any such things that you can think of that are holding you back from being a laborer, I just want you to bring them also before the Lord and say, "Lord, I just, I just let these things go." And, and it it might not be that that God's going to tell you, you know, to to sort of um, depart from those things or, or cast those things out of your life, but He might tell you that those things must occupy a different space in your life, subject to Him and His kingdom. So just just close your eyes right there where you are, and if there's anything. That you need to reprioritize in your life and make sure that it is subject to god and his kingdom i just want you in your own words to pray that and say lord i'm making all of these things subject to you and your kingdom yes lord god we just come before you lord god and we thank you that we have each one of us has a calling on our lives that be part of your kingdom and of your kingdom invasion your loving invasion of this often wicked world that we live in and Lord we we thank you for that privilege Lord Lord and we just want to bring Lord anything that is preventing us from being a laborer Lord God where we are Lord even the good things Lord we just want to prioritize reprioritize them Lord and and make everything subject to you and your calling upon our lives please renew our minds so that we'll see life through your eyes through the lens of your gospel and your kingdom. And Lord, we we just pray, Lord, that you'll Lord help us to have that compassion that you had and still have for us and for the people around us. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Give us your compassion. Give us your eyes that when we look around ourselves that, that we'll also see people as, Lord, sheep without a shepherd, harassed, harassed and, and wandering around. Just in closing, I, I just want us to pray <clears throat> and, and ask God and say, God, please open up my eyes to see what you see around me. The things that I don't yet see. To really see the people. Just ask God in your own words. Just open up my eyes, please, Lord. Yes, Lord, we just consecrate ourselves to you, Lord, as your people. A holy, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And we want to be that, what you want us to be. We, we want to be, Lord, the answer to that prayer. We want to be the answer to that prayer please make each one of us where you have placed us the answer to that prayer in jesus name lord i just pray your blessing over your people may the grace of the lord jesus christ the love of god the father and the continuing fellowship and presence of the holy spirit abide with each one of you in jesus name